Welcome back to the 40th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Stephanie Dre, author of the novel Lily of the Nile. I wanted to take just one brief moment, as I mentioned in the last podcast, and tell you about another books-related podcast that I listen to on a regular basis. The one that I wanted to mention this week is Books on the Nightstand. You can check it out at booksonthenightstand.com. Books on the Nightstand is co-hosted by Ann Kingman and Michael Kindness, two sales representatives for Random House. Books on the Nightstand is one of the best book-related podcasts that, I've, that I listen to on a regular basis, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. Uh, the podcast has a very active community on Goodreads, and you will learn lots of books that I'm sure you'll be interested in, in reading by listening. So again, that's booksonthenightstand.com, and stay tuned now for my interview with Stephanie Dre. Well, this is uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of, uh, most recently, The Burning Wire, and uh, soon to be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Stephanie Dre, author of the brand new novel, Lily of the Nile, available now in trade paperback and ebook. She also writes paranormal romance novels under the pen name Stephanie Draven. Stephanie, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, sure. Well, Lily of the Nile is the first book in a trilogy and is a historical novel about the daughter of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Can you give readers a little bit more background on Lily of the Nile and, and the trilogy that, that you're writing? I'd be happy to. Um, when I was growing up, I was always fascinated by Cleopatra, and um, I'm really gratified to see that with Stacey Schiff's new biography, people are really learning to appreciate her again right now. I was um, kind of shocked, though, to find out that no one had ever heard about her daughter. And when I researched her daughter, Cleopatra Selene, I learned that although Cleopatra Selene had a really tragic life story as a girl, she ultimately triumphed and became the most powerful client queen in the Roman Empire. And I thought that was a story that needed to be told. Um, unfortunately, it's going to probably take me three books to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, as we record this, Egypt is embroiled in massive demonstrations against uh, Hosni Mubarak. Given all, that you've, right. given all that you've studied about Egypt, what's your reaction to what's going on there now? Um, I, I really am very sad to see the violence on the television. Um, but it does remind me that Egypt is no stranger to urban unrest. There's been a struggle for freedom and for better treatment in Egypt, even going back to Cleopatra's day. Egyptian citizens have always tried to demonstrate and to play a part in their own governance. And because Egypt is such a cradle of civilization, it's so old and and has so much influence over the modern day that everything that happens there is absolutely vital to us and to the region. So I'm watching very carefully, and my prayers are with um, the people who are trying to um, get a government for themselves. 
And I'm also very concerned about the artifacts and antiquities and, and the museum there. Right. What, why do you think it is that Cleopatra Selene is not better, not more well-known? I think it's because, unlike her mother, she was not one of history's bad girls. She never really fell afoul of the Roman patriarchy. She learned to play the game and to appease the emperor and to pretend as if she valued Roman values when in Rome. But when she was in her own country, she did as she pleased. She was, in her way, much more successful at walking that line than her mother was. And because she did that, I, I think that she, you know, ancient writers just didn't have a lot of salacious detail to, to publish about her. She wasn't very scandalous. She was involved in a 20-year marriage with King Juba II, and no hint of scandal ever attached itself to her. And she probably learned from her mother, you know, not to, uh, not to be too scandalous because the Roman uh, gossip mongers would take you down. So she was a little more cautious in that way. And unfortunately, uh, most of the ancient writers wrote about her son or her husband rather than about her. Right. And obviously there have been uh, numerous movies and hundreds of books written about uh, this time period. I'm curious what you think about one of the more recent um, TV series, the HBO series of Rome, which did uh, include Cleopatra and Mark Anthony. Uh, that was one of my favorite series of all times. I'm so <laughs> disappointed that it was canceled. Um, I, I loved that series, even though I have to admit they, they were a little harsh on Cleopatra. They sort of portrayed her as a woman absolutely without moral scruple. And, you know, perhaps that is accurate. We can't, can't be entirely sure. Um, certainly one thing that really irritated me about that is that they made it so that her child, Caesarian, um, was of dubious parentage, that he wasn't really Caesar's son. And we have absolutely no evidence of that. It seems as if Cleopatra herself only really had two lovers, um, Julius Caesar or, and uh, Mark Antony. The, the scandal, or I shouldn't say scandal, the propaganda against her uh, by Octavian was that, of course, she was um, quite promiscuous, and so no one could be sure that Caesarian was really Julius Caesar's son. And the, the series on HBO totally adopted that theory, um, and I didn't like it, but it was very entertaining. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was certainly disappointed myself that it that it wasn't um, that it, the series wasn't renewed. I guess we'll just have to uh, suffice with Game of Thrones, which starts in April. I'm very excited about that too. <laughs> um, but I should tell you that they're talking about doing a movie about Rome with Kevin McKidd and uh, I think it's uh, Ray Stevenson. So maybe we'll we'll get a fix. A little more of our favorite series. Uh, Hopefully so. Hopefully so. As I mentioned at the beginning, you also write the Mythica series of paranormal romances under the pen name Stephanie Draven. How did writing Lily of the Nile differ from writing uh, one of your paranormal romances? Was Was the actual writing process different for you? Yes. Um, When I write historical fiction, there's an awful lot of research that goes into it before I write anything down. And um, 
I spent at least three years researching Lily of the Nile and then refining it. In fact, I'm still researching Cleopatra's Daughter because I'm still writing the, the projected trilogy. So a lot of it has to do with piecing together mysteries that arise in history and trying to think of um, a coherent explanation that would that would make these these little facts that are mysterious make sense. When I'm writing paranormal romance, um, there's still research involved, but it isn't very much, and I tend to write it very fast. Uh, for example, I, I wrote Poison Kisses, which has been nominated for a Reviewer's Choice Award. Um, I wrote that actually in a month. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the difference in process is pretty stark. Right. Um, who are some of the who are some of your favorite writers that you enjoy reading? Well, you mentioned Game of Thrones by George R. R. <laughs> Martin. He is one of my all-time favorites. Uh, I only wish that I could write with such uh, complexity. I also really enjoy Margaret George and Michelle Moran. Um, I like Judith Tarr. There's a number of historical authors that I, I really uh, just can't get enough of. I, I, I love Phil Gregory. Uh, I'm not a big Tudor fan myself. I don't, I don't know enough about that time period to ever write in it, but I do love reading about it. Um, so have, I guess my you, tastes have, are kind have, of all over the map. Sure. <laughs> have, have you always been a voracious reader or someone who liked reading, or is that something that um, – what was that like for you? I have always liked reading, um, but I do remember that when I was first married to my husband, I was in law school, and I was asked by him, don't you read anything for fun? And I said, no, I only read law books. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it occurred to me that I hadn't read anything fun in a really long time. And I, I sometimes think that when people are going for higher degrees or in school that they, they lose their, their reading of fiction. Um, and so he really helped me. Something that I appreciate. Great. Are you, are you, yeah, I heard some 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 little uh, technical thing. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, sometimes that happens with Skype. If you, if you just want to um, like uh, basically restate like the last couple of sentences because it cuts you off. Okay. Um, actually, I think someone is calling on the other line. Oh, okay. Okay. Go away. <laughs> Let me see. What did I say? <laughs> Um, you were you were talking about your I, husband. Oh yes, he really helped me um, find my love of reading fiction again, to which I'm very grateful to him for. Great. Well, what was the path to publication like for you? Have Have you always written fiction? You You mentioned uh, a, a minute ago that you were in law school. Um, do you work as a lawyer now, or, or so? So, what was kind of the 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 route that you took to to getting two different series published? I always wanted to be a writer, but my mother very wisely told me that I would never make any money, <laughs> so <laughs> I should find an alternate career. And um, I thought that she was giving me very practical advice, and so I took it. Uh, and I spent an awful lot of money and a, an awful lot of time doing things that I didn't really uh, feel a lot of passion for because <laughs> of it. Um, I did go to law school, and I, I did pass the bar, and I... I did practice for about 10 minutes before I realized just how much I hated it. And uh, then I, I decided to pursue a career in writing. Uh, and it took a long time. It did. I, I wrote many books, most of which will never see the light of day. They were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
And eventually, though, when I wrote Lily of the Nile, I really felt that this was something special. And it had my heart in it, and I thought I was bringing to life a story of a woman who had been denied a voice throughout most of history. She had to hide her own feelings about her parents and their death and about her brothers being killed and about the loss of Egypt. She had to keep that quiet almost all of her life. And I thought it was a real honor for me to be able to give her back that voice. Great. So, um, well, I guess, well, the, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that getting it to the stage of publication uh, took many years, but it was really worth it for me. Great. Those books that you mentioned that that you were writing and and you know trying to get published. Do you feel like you were trying to figure out what you wanted to write about? Um, what was that? What was that process like? I started writing fantasy novels um, set in an original Bronze Age world. Um, this is a world that I used with my husband to run a game online, which is called Fear and Mux. And it's one of the oldest and most popular text-based internet games in existence. So I'm, I'm very proud of it, even though I don't currently write, run it. Um, but that uh, helped me sort of refine my craft and, and develop a fantasy world. Not, uh, I'm not George Martin, but I, um, <laughs> I did uh, have a go at it. Um, after that, <laughs> excuse me. After writing some fantasy novels, I started looking at the market, and I'm, I'm an entertainer. I want to write things that people want to read. So I started realizing that a lot of the the things that people want to read were things that I also wanted to read, and that maybe I should start writing them. <laughs> and, and so I, I sort of opened my mind to romantic fiction and historical fiction and um, and tried to take into account what really compelled people about great stories. And then I started writing that way and refining my craft. And so those early books, they, they aren't as good and I won't market them. Uh, but uh, eventually I, I did hit my stride. Great. What is the writing process like for you? Do you outline ahead of time or are you more of an organic writer or does it really depend on what you're writing as we were talking about earlier? I think that when I was first starting to write, I was always writing by the seat of my pants. Things surprised me, and I kind of missed that joy of discovery while writing. That was a very innocent and, and happy time. But once you get a book contract, you have deadlines, and also you get paid based on the proposals that you submit to your publishers. So I had to learn a new way of doing things. And I, I now always plot things out. Um, sometimes I use the snowflake method. Have you heard of that? I have actually, um, I've heard briefly about it. So why don't you explain it for people who are listening who haven't heard? Okay. The snowflake method is basically start out with a single sentence that summarizes your book. And that can take a long time to just you know, narrow your entire concept down to one sentence. But once you do that, it's really effective because you'll end up using that in promoting your book as well. But it, it gives you the heart of your story. Then you expand it to a paragraph and then three paragraphs. And you keep expanding it until you essentially have an outline for your book. 
And I often uh, abandon this process somewhere in the middle once I have a really good idea. But it's always my starting point. Uh, I also use software called Scrivener, which allows me to use little um, virtual index cards to plot out my novel. And um, also, it's helpful for romance because in romance novels, a publisher will often want you to divide up your scenes between the hero and the heroine. And that doesn't often happen organically. So if you plan in advance uh, which scene is going to be told by which perspective, mm-hmm. it um, gives you a little bit of an edge when you're writing. You don't have to, to worry about it as much. Great. What, what advice do you offer to aspiring writers who may be listening who would like to try to have a, a book published? My best advice is to think about the kind of work that you want to be known for, what you want to base your career on. Most writers I know um, consider themselves writers first, and they don't think about the genre um, until later because they like to read all kinds of things and they like to write all kinds of things. But when you're building a career, you really want to be known uh, for a particular kind of fiction so that readers can get to know your backlist and everything you've written. And publishers will often want you to write the same kind of thing a couple of times to build up your brand and to establish yourself as a certain kind of writer. And this could be a real detriment for beginning writers because they might write one unusual manuscript that, um, let's say, today you're writing a mystery, but you don't normally write mysteries. You really prefer to write um, fantasy, for example. Mm -hmm. If you get that mystery published, trust me, you will be writing mysteries for a few years. So I really recommend to aspiring authors to think about exactly what sort of fiction they want to be known for and to pursue that rather than just sending everything out and seeing what sticks. Great. I think that's some great advice. Well, again, we've been speaking with Stephanie Dre, author of the new book, Lily of the Nile. Stephanie, where can people find you online? My website is stephaniedray.com, and I often have a lot of interesting little historical articles about the Ptolemaic dynasty and Egypt and Rome, so I love to hear from readers, or I hope they'll give me a visit. Great. Well, Stephanie, thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Thank you so much. I had a blast. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest podcast. If you have a chance, please leave a review of the podcast in iTunes. It only takes a moment. Until next time, read some good books and be well. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones 
who get it done.